Have you ever stopped to consider that a disability doesn't necessarily mean someone is disabled from working, from achieving, or from living a full life? Or how having a disability often leads to new pathways to success? What if we lived in a world where we celebrated and embraced neurodiversity rather than seeing neurodivergence as something to be fixed or overcome? In this episode, we're going to explore how the way we frame disability and the idea of normal informs whom we include and whom we exclude, and how neurodiversity informs a new way of thinking, acceptance, and being. Hi, I'm Dr. Teresa Haskins, and welcome to Think Differently, the podcast that challenges the status quo and explores the power of neurodiversity to create a more inclusive and accessible world. Together, we will talk about everything from the value of different perspectives to the limitless potential of human beings. We'll explore how embracing differences can lead to endless possibilities and how you can maximize strengths to make a positive impact on the world. So sit back, relax, and join me as we get ready to think differently. Hi, everyone. On today's episode, we're going to discuss a concept that I believe will change the way you view disability inclusion in your organizations, in schools, and your life. I want to talk about the difference between disability and disabled. Usually, when people talk about disability, They're focused on a deficiency or an obstacle that hinders individuals from interacting with the world the way we anticipate a typical person would. For example, a visually impaired person may not see well, and that can limit their ability to navigate or read, while physical disability may restrict a person's ability to climb stairs or impact their mobility. As a result, We often tend to concentrate on what a person cannot do when thinking about their disability. And it's this type of thinking through the dominant medical and psychological model lenses that inform how we think about people with disabilities and how we're going to support them. And this leads to a mindset that creates a divide between people with disabilities and those without. And this is a very limited way of thinking. So instead, I want to focus on the concept of what it means to be disabled, which goes beyond an individual's disability. This comes from the concept of the social model of disability, and it challenges our thinking by illuminating that a disability can be a social construct and that being disabled is not solely based on an individual person's limitations. It can also come about due to the barriers and obstacles that a society creates, and that can prevent people with impairments from fully participating. So to clarify, when I suggest that our society and the environment are disabling, I'm not negating the existence of an individual's disability. We acknowledge that there are impairments that set them apart from the norm. However, We need to explore that whether having a disability automatically means being disabled from participating fully at work and in life. So here's an example that I think most of us are familiar with, 
and it'll really help illuminate the difference between having a disability and disablement. So imagine a man has a leg amputation, and this requires a wheelchair for mobility. We'll call him Bob. Bob's disability is physical, and it impacts his ability to walk. His accommodation to mitigate his disability is the use of a wheelchair. This wheelchair allows him to get from place to place independently. He works, he visits friends, goes shopping. He can live a full life. But sometimes the environment disables Bob from participating. He can't enter some buildings because there's only stairs and no lifts to get inside. This is disablement. So while Bob has an assistive device, his wheelchair, if Bob is invited to meet friends at a restaurant and he can't get in because there's only stairs available to enter, is it his disability or the environment that's preventing his full participation? And if there was a lift or a ramp to get inside, there is no doubt Bob would join his friends for dinner and have a splendid time. So Bob has come to the situation individually prepared, but the structures outside of his control are not. And it's not on Bob to install ramps and lifts, yet he still finds he's excluded in this situation because he can't enter the building as it's designed. And this example illustrates what I mean by the difference of having a disability and being disabled. And so as we talk through this, I feel the concept is fairly clear that, of course, it's not on the individual when a building is not accessible to them. However, the onus of change to inclusion becomes more difficult for folks to grasp when the barriers to inclusion are not physical structures, but rather a change in how we work or how we expect to communicate and interact with each other. This is where people trip up. Because people are so used to being expected and able to modify their behavior to fit in, it can be really hard to imagine, let alone accept, that others cannot change their approach to fit the norm. And worse, because they can't appreciate that it's not easy to modify their behavior, they will often attribute other beliefs about people's capability of learning and working that have nothing to do with neurodivergence. And it seems obvious, right? Or not. The truth is, is that many people with impairments, not just those with neurodivergence, are treated as if their disability impacts way beyond their specific condition. And it's this incorrect attribution of a disability impacting ability that is compounded with individuals that have social, cognitive, and developmental conditions. So many people focus on what a person cannot do and how their interactions are different from the norm that when leaders and educators strive to accommodate these differences to help these neurodivergent individuals succeed, they're focused on how to help them, dare say, fix them, meaning changing them to better fit our standards, not to create accessible environments and processes that accept them and support them for who they are. So today, accommodations are based on individuals' needs, and that's all that's provided. Exceptions are made. Leaders recommend more training 
to help individuals mitigate their differences. Tell me, if someone is neurodivergent, how much social training will you enforce before you accept that their way of communicating is immutable? How long will it take for you to realize that trying to change the person is trying to mitigate the condition itself? Neurodiversity helps leaders understand that variance in communication and approaches to work creates diversity and helps them appreciate that there is more than one path to success. It helps us understand and appreciate that we need to accept people for who they are as they are, no modification required. Accepting a condition that impacts interpersonal behaviors that may run counter to norms, especially in the workplace and at school, is difficult for many people to fully embrace, but is necessary for neurodiversity to be realized. But consider this. Let's think about this in another scenario and not talk about neurodivergence, but rather if we were blind and visually impaired. What if we compared the current approach to neurodivergent accommodations between these two groups? Would it be acceptable to ask blind people to try to overcome their ability so that they can fit in with the majority better? Would we send them to classes so that they would learn how to act less visually impaired? Or what about Bob, our physically impaired friend? Would we insist that he finds a way to climb stairs? No. We would make sure that they had accommodations to navigate a building safely. We'd provide them resources and technology so that they could access information and effectively engage in the work environment. Companies would work to support their differences, knowing that these individuals cannot change their physical impairments but we would make changes and provide resources to meet them in the middle. At no point would a company imply that more training might rectify the issue for the blind or mobility impaired individual. Employers do not ask employees with physical disabilities to try to be less disabled. They work to meet the employee with structures so they can be successful. However, Neurodivergent employees are often asked to try and change themselves and change their approach to work and change how they communicate with others as if their condition is something that can be modified with a little effort and more training. Neurodivergent people experience barriers to success in the workplace. They're not just physical barriers. They require a willingness for others to make changes that go beyond lifts and ramps and technological enhancements. They need real modifications and acceptance for different ways of working and communicating. And if your organization is rigid on how we work around here, then exclusion continues. The social model of disability challenges us to examine the environment and how it can either enable or disable a person's ability to function. So I think it's clear that the environment makes a significant difference in whether a person is disabled from participating or not, and that all of us can be situationally disabled. Think I'm wrong? Well, let's imagine you were out at a concert with a blind friend, 
Imagine you're having a great time listening to music, and then there's a power outage in the city. All the lights go out in the auditorium. You can't see a thing. Ushers with their little flashlights urge the audience to stay calm and stay seated. They will organize and help you navigate out of the building in an orderly fashion. But you don't have to wait because your friend, your blind friend, he leans over and whispers in your ear and says, I've got this, I'll lead us out. Because in this situation, in the pitch black auditorium, your blind friend isn't disabled. He's adept at navigating without sight and leads you right out the very way you came in. In this situation, you're disabled. Your blind friend, the one with the documented disability, is not. And that is how we know that we really need to examine how we create environments that may disable people, which means we need to think about disablement rather than disability. The persistence of exclusion is due to the constructs we create that limit who can be successful. And when we start thinking that anyone can be disabled based on the constructs created, we move away from a medical or psychological disability profile of the inherent impairments a person has. And instead, we begin to consider that the processes and structures we create make a situation inaccessible. Someone in a wheelchair will always be in a wheelchair, but at home, they can navigate the environment successfully. Similarly, parents of children with autism find ways to create enabling environments by removing triggers and communicating in new ways. We too can create environments that are enabling, not disabling. There are some people that will argue that we can't cater to every individual's differences. And while it's true to some extent, we can design things in a way that is not disabling and supports variance more effectively. That's what we're aiming for. By focusing on eliminating disablement constructs instead of accommodating disabilities, we can look at the areas we can control that in ways that would better support everyone and meet a multitude of individual needs. If we think about technology and the more and more software and computer systems that are being designed with accessibility in mind, especially for those with visual and hearing impairments, and similarly content and movie creators have increased the use of closed captioning and audio transcripts as a standard service, this concept, these tools are moving beyond providing a one-off accommodation but rather creating a universal standard of design by removing systemic and structural barriers as part of the foundation to access. So this is great. What now? What steps can we take as individuals to ensure we're not creating disabling environments? Well, that's the harder part because change starts with you. We each need to reconsider how we do things and realize that what works for us may not work for everyone. The career rules and constructs that we've created may be arbitrary and not necessary. When you look around, 
We see people who look like us, think like us, and act like us. And to change this and create truly neurodiverse, accessible environments, we need to really take a look at our teams. We need to examine who we are as leaders, how we define success, whom we are including and why we include them. That means honestly reviewing our management and employee expectations and considering accommodations that will allow everyone to integrate into the workplace, which would help increase access overall. We shouldn't just focus on helping individuals adapt to our constructs, but also question whether those constructs are necessary and if they can be made more accessible. And what about whom we ultimately include and whom we ultimately hire? How are you assessing skill? Is the typical interview process actually giving your candidate an opportunity to demonstrate their capability to work for you? How they would meet your objectives? Are storytelling, sales, and influencing skills the primary role you're hiring for? If not, then you might want to review your current processes, as most interviews today require you to sell and market yourself. And for most of us, that's not the role we even applied for. As leaders, we should really reconsider our approaches and determine if the types of accommodations that people are asking for are equalizers that would improve the candidate experience overall and try to implement them at scale. Many changes put in place during COVID-19 have proven that there are alternative ways to achieve the same goals. We need to be willing to think creatively and consider alternative approaches that are more holistically inclusive. Challenge your beliefs and be aware of behaviors that no longer serve everyone. Strive to create a diverse and inclusive environment that benefits people of all abilities. Instead of focusing on creating a diverse slate of people, focus on creating an environment that is inherently inclusive. This requires targeting outreach efforts and raising awareness, yes, but it also requires taking action to change the way we look at the path to success and creating cultures that are ready to include the variance that exists in our world. Finally, we need to recognize that creativity and innovation, top selling points to increasing neurodiversity, are not solely in the domain of the divergent and potentially creative individual. By opening your mind to alternatives, you too can unleash creativity and innovation in ways you may have never thought possible. You leader, you're a gatekeeper. You have the power to create environments where creativity and neurodiversity can flourish, or you can stifle it. As a leader, you do not need to be creative or diverse to create an open space for these things to exist. You can enable or disable people from being full participants. You just need to be willing to create more space for diversity and thought and action to exist. Accepting that people have different skills, different obstacles and approaches is a requirement and the path to neurodiversity. Inclusion is about bringing variance equally to the table. Remember, we're not trying to bring in people who work differently so that they can think and do the same things as us. 
We're looking to bring in differences so that they can transform our world. Thank you for listening to this episode of Think Differently. I hope you found our discussion today insightful and thought-provoking. I want to thank AudioWorks Studios for their exceptional production and recording support. Without their expertise and dedication, this podcast would not be possible. If you enjoyed this episode, we encourage you to share it with others. Your support helps us to reach new audiences and promote neurodiversity in our world. Also, be sure to subscribe to this podcast on iHeartRadio, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or your favorite platform so that you can stay up to date on the latest episodes. We look forward to seeing you again soon and think differently.